A prominent black lawyer says that he can eliminate crime overnight. You cannot make this stuff up. Ben Crump, the prominent criminal defense attorney, represented the family of George Floyd, other black criminals. He says he has a way to end crime today. We will tell you his brilliant strategy. You're not going to believe this one. All right, President Trump has demolished Nikki Haley in the South Carolina primary, and Nikki Haley is vowing to remain in the race. And and I'm starting to believe her, and the question is why? Why is Nikki Haley staying in a race that she cannot win? I believe there's an answer to this, which I'll explain coming up, but Trump, he didn't just win this primary. Trump crushed it. I mean, he obliterated Nikki Haley, Trump 60%, Haley 39% on her home turf. I mean, this was she was the governor, and she was not just any governor. This was not like Gavin Newsom in, in California who had a recall vote. I mean, South Carolina, they really, really, she was very popular, Nikki Haley, as governor, and yet Trump got more votes than any candidate in the history. Trump got more votes in this primary than any candidate in the history of South Carolina. And they liked her. South Carolina liked Nikki Haley. And they and a lot of them may still actually like her. Now, she has toned down her conservative rhetoric. She has toned down her conservatism. I mean, she has become a moderate slash a leftist, as we know, for whatever reason, trying to appeal to the Democrats and to the, 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 the leftist wing of the Republican Party. But the idea is here, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You could be the most popular governor in your in your state's history. Trump is unstoppable. Republican voters adore him, period. And I'm sorry, for those of you who don't really like, you know, somebody was telling me on Shabbos, they said, you know, uh, Trump, I like his policies, I like what he did for Israel, I like what he did for the economy, but, you know, they're always like, the but. what's the but? The, well, he's not presidential enough. And I'm, I'm like, the world is on fire. I mean, you know, we can get into somebody who's more presidential when, like, the economy is strong and, 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 and things are safe and the border secure, but but this is the mindset. But even if that's how you feel, I have news for you, Trump. They love they love him, and he's going to win, and it's over, you know, and it, and it never even started. But here's the deal: Trump swept the first four states. Now we predicted this that Trump would sweep the primaries not two months ago, like everybody else who who hopped on the bandwagon. We predicted this before Trump even entered the race. But I remember back two years ago, before a single poll came out, before Trump even entered and announced he was running, we predicted that he would run. I knew he would not be able to stay out of this race. And we knew, imagine Trump on the sidelines right now. Imagine if Trump were watching uh, Haley and DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, like duking it out and thinking to himself, oh, wow, how, how did I not enter this race? So we knew he would be in it and we knew he would crush everybody else. And the question is, like I said, why is Haley staying in the race? So we will get to that in just a moment. There's so much to get to. All right. So thank you all for your well wishes. I am doing OK, Baruch Hashem. I'm sorry about the hiatus and about the scheduling. And I know it's been a few days since our last show. What happened was that without getting into the uh, details of this, I had a dental procedure. I had some oral surgery done and it took me much longer to recover. I'm still not recovered. I'm still actually in pain, but it took me a lot longer to recover than I expected. Some of you reached out. Some of you were concerned. Hey, what's going on? It's been in a few days. Is everything okay? So it was mostly okay, Baruch Hashem. Nothing major, nothing crazy, and I'm almost back to normal. I, I did not eat for three days. I basically lived on applesauce for three days, and I was in a lot of pain. I mean, there was one night, it was just, it was almost unbearable. You, you can't function. It's not like, it's like, well, let me distract myself. There's no way there's just this pain and nagging, and I'm sorry. I don't mean to, to sit here whining about my, you know, my health issues over the, the microphone. And Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, totally fine, totally fine, and like I said, doing a million times better, but I do appreciate all your 
well wishes. I'm still weak. And, uh, you know, bear with me here if we don't quite have the same kind of energy, although the adrenaline is is pumping. I, I can feel it already. And I'm, I'm feeling better just doing this because this is part of what I missed for all those days. So, so much to get to. A lot of Israel news. Biden continues to hammer away, continues to put the pressure on, trying to cater to his Muslim voters. Did Bibi Netanyahu refuse to allow the assassination of Yahya Sinwar, the mastermind behind the Hamas terror attack? Did Netanyahu not allow the Shin Bet to assassinate Sinwar? Well, we'll tell you some stunning, a stunning report coming up. Uh, that And prior to the attack, I'm not talking about since the attack, but prior to the attack. Now, of course, they're doing everything possible to locate him. CBS has fired a reporter who had been researching the Hunter Biden scandal. And not only did they fire her, and that itself is controversial, obviously, but they confiscated her notes and her devices. So they confiscated all the information, all the research she had done on the Hunter Biden scandal and the Robert Hur report, the classified document scandal. It's unheard of. It is unheard of. They're saying this never happens, not just CBS, but these news outlets. When they fire a reporter, they always allow the reporter to take home their notes, to take home their research, which they have every right to do. People are furious. What is CBS trying to hide? We will get to that coming up. Microsoft is bragging about the fact that they pay non-white employees more than they pay white employees on the same level, same experience, all everything equal. Microsoft, not only do they pay non-whites more than they pay whites, they're bragging about it. Sounds pretty racist. Hey, look at me. I'm a racist. So we'll get to that coming up. The FBI has arrested the informant who claimed that Burisma paid the big guy paid Joe Biden $5 million, okay, $5 million for the big guy, $5 million for the old forgetful guy with the short staircase and a safety net at the bottom just in case. So the FBI says that this informant was lying. What's his name, Smirnoff? That this informant was lying to the FBI and that that payment never took place. Now, we have no idea. I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't know if, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, they're making it up and he really told the truth. This was important evidence, as we as we mentioned, and if it's false, it's false, and I'll own up to that. I have no agenda. But here's the, the problem, is this is not a big deal. This story is a meaningless little blip on the radar, a hiccup. It's nothing. And the media is doing cartwheels. The media is popping the champagne. You see this, the Hunter Biden scandal is debunked. This is what the Republicans kept telling us, this informant. Number one, the media never mentioned this informant once. The mainstream media did not touch. They like it was it was like buried in the bottom of the New York Times article, like 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 twenty paragraphs in. So they don't even bother with this informant. Suddenly this informant is the bombshell. And you see that everything was resting on this. The entire Joe Biden, the entire impeachment inquiry is all about this one informant. No, it's not. We never even discussed, we didn't even know about this informant for the first six months that, that, that we just uncovered all the details about the Biden crime family scandal. So them, them claiming somehow that this arrest, even if he's lying, assuming he is, which I'm not saying he is, that somehow the Hunter Biden laptop scandal is debunked and all of that. This informant was a tiny cog. And by the way, remember how many people lied to the FBI about Trump-Russia collusion? And none of them, almost none of them were indicted. Well, Clevin Klein said, what, he spent a month in jail? So this story is being way overblown. So we'll get to all of that coming up. All right, so back to Nikki and a lot more. Uh, welcome to the Yaakov M. Show. We are on, of course, VIN News. We're on Nucky Radio, Yeshiva International, and very exciting. I have not announced this yet, but it's been a few days that we are on a new platform. We are on 24-6. So certainly tell your friends that they can find our show on 24-6. Very excited about that. 
Nikki Haley, what is her strategy? Her strategy is actually pretty pretty clever because, and, and look, number one, give the Haley campaign credit, okay? You might not like her message. I give Obama credit, okay? I, I can't stand, I, 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 I despise Barack Obama and what he did to this country and what he continues to do because he's still basically running the show. I also think he's a very shrewd and savvy politician and both things can be true at the same time. So Nikki Haley, do I like the fact that she's gone way over to the left? She used to be so much more. She changed. She literally changed her tune. And and by the way, it, it was all strategic because she knew that she had no shot trying to attract MAGA voters away. So she figured, well, let me get all the people who are anti-MAGA. So I give her credit for going further, way further than anybody expected and than any of the other Republican candidates. Remember DeSantis? He was going to be the rock star. OK, by the way, just so you know, in case you're wondering, Trump right now in the primaries, not that it matters, he has 120. 12 delegates. Haley has 17, even though Trump swept all the races. But Haley, she did get a certain number of delegates because of the amounts of votes she got in these primaries. You need 1,215 to win the nomination. So technically speaking, there's still a long way to go. But the reason that Haley is staying in the race, it's not about it. People think she's trying to damage and hurt Trump. I really don't think she doesn't mind. She certainly seems to be enjoying that that little side perk for her. That's a like like little side benefit, like a fringe benefit. Oh, by the way, because she clearly, clearly does not. I don't know what her issue is, because when she was his U.N. ambassador, oh, boy, did she sing his praises. But she has turned on him like nobody's business. But 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 that's not her. I don't believe that's her main goal. I don't think that that really is what makes her tick and, and, and what's driving her. And I may be wrong about that. But I think it's because of 2028. She is raised. Raising so much more money. And this is the, the part that I did not realize. I predicted that she would be dropping out. I said, South Carolina, she's going to get crushed and she's going to drop out of the race. She might, but she seems to be in a waiting for Super Tuesday. Why is she not dropping out of the race? Well, I expected that she's going to drop out like all of them because once the money runs dry, once the donors stop, who, what Republican would possibly donate to Nikki Haley? I mean, you got a few never, you know, who are just deranged, Trump derangement syndrome, and say, oh, I think Haley has a shot. But most Republican voters and donors are like, I'm not donating to Haley. It's throwing the money in the trash. So, but she's getting money from Democrat donors. She is ra- ra- raising a fortune. Uh, 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 of campaign funding from Democrat donors. And this is about 2028. And think about it. It's kind of ingenious because she's basically the Democrats are basically bankrolling her 2028 campaign. And she's going to be so far ahead. And very often this is what happens is the person who comes in second place. We saw this with John McCain in 2008, Mitt Romney in 2012. Uh, obviously, 2016 was different. Trump was, was was the rare exception. We saw this with, you know, Al Gore, of course, won the primaries in to, in the year 2000 on the Democrat side. And, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, Barack Obama, obviously, with you know, Obama and Trump are the outliers. They came totally out of the clear blue. But it happens very often. I, Nikki Haley, they're going to be calling her the front runner. DeSantis would have been the front runner, but Haley has really just totally exploded over here. So she's stockpiling, mil- stockpiling millions of dollars in campaign funding that she is now put, putting away in the bank for 2028, and her game plan is she's going to have a huge advantage, and, and it's Democrat donors, it's Biden donors that are funding the Haley campaign. I've never seen anything like it. It's actually astonishing. I don't know if that was her plan to begin with, but that's how it's playing out, so I don't think it's about hurting Trump, and I may be wrong. Ironically, by the way, Haley's not hurting Trump, she's helping Trump. I, you know, I should mention this, because people think, oh, Haley's trying to hurt Trump, and she's been slamming him. I mean, the gloves are off, and of course, she's spending a lot of money against Trump, although I think she's really saving a lot more than anybody realizes. But 
Every time Nikki Haley says something vicious about Trump, it just galvanizes Trump's voter base. It's it's like every it's like when they indict him. So that's the irony here. But she believes in 2028 she's going to be running against a bunch of MAGA Republicans in the primary. She may be right. Look at Vivek and look at uh, Ron DeSantis. And you, you got to expect people are going to say, hey, there's no Trump in 2028. Either way, whatever happens this year, Trump is not running in 2028. Right. So she's going to be running against MAGA Republicans who are not named Trump. And they're going to split the Trump vote. And then she runs as the moderate Republican. Uh, that could be pretty fascinating. So I believe that's Nikki Haley's game plan. And the reason that I expected her to drop out at this point is I thought the money would run dry because what Republican donor would possibly. All of that was true. But the part that I kind of underestimated and it was embarrassing. It's humiliating. Well, she's she's out there saying, well, look, I got 39, 40 percent of the vote. Look how many people don't want. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, this is literally her. This is her home state. This is her home turf. She was supposed to. To win, she, 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 any other, uh, any other candidate other than Trump as her opponent, I mean, she would have won by a landslide. But that's what's fascinating about this. Haley has, get this, this is shocking. She has fifty two hundred Biden donors funding her campaign. Nikki Haley has fifty two hundred Biden donors. Biden donors funding a Republicans campaign. By the way, that tells you number one tells you what they think about Biden, and it tells you you know how badly. Uh, you know, they, how daily they want to get rid of Trump. But it also tells you that she's actually palatable. She's actually appealing to, to, to Democrat, to these big time Democrat donors, which is, you know, pretty stunning how far to the left she has come. But the National Pulse says Nikki Haley's failing presidential campaign is being bankrolled by over 5,200 former donors to Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign. And the the donors underwriting Haley include underwriting Haley includes 1,600 donors who gave over $500,000 combined in January alone, and that's after she had already been crushed by Trump in Iowa and in New Hampshire. Pretty fascinating. All right, Ben Crump, the black civil rights attorney, the radical leftist, he says you can eliminate crime overnight by changing the definition of crime. You can't make it up. This is what he said, and it's disturbing because this man is very popular on the left. You know, he's very well respected. He changed the definition of crime. He says the problem is not the drugs. The problem is not the shooting. The problem is that we call it a crime. If all the drugs and all the drug dealers and all the shooting and all the violence and everything else, if you just don't call it a crime and all the shoplifting, all the looting, then you're going to eliminate crime because there's no, no such thing as crime. This man, he said this. This wasn't like off the cuff. This was on a Black History Month special that was aired, I believe, on MSNBC. And Ben Crump said, quote, They come up with things to profile us for. Get this. They come up with things, they being the white man, come up with things to profile us for. He says, I believe this, everything in my heart. He says, we can get rid of all the crime overnight. And people say, how, Attorney Crump? And I say, quote, change the definition of crime. If you get to define what conduct is going to be made criminal, you can predict who the criminals are going to be. And then he says, they made the laws to criminalize black culture. This is a well-respected civil rights attorney. This is insanity. And he's saying this on MSNBC and nobody's disputing it, calling it out. He says they made the laws to criminalize black culture. People are so terrified to touch this because they don't want to get labeled a racist. Well, I'm going to touch it. They made the laws to criminalize our culture. If you define what conduct is criminal, then you can predict who the criminal. So He's saying like this. He's saying, look, murder, looting, shoplifting, those things are not 
inherently bad. Those are not problems per se. But the white people see the black people doing that stuff and they say, let's make it a crime. So Ben Crump wants to make driving a Porsche crime since it's all arbitrary anyway. Let's make it a crime to graduate law school and to raise children. And then the white people will be criminals and the blacks will be free. And he says we criminalize their culture. Like he's spewing this insanity. Uh, and uh, he says it on MSNBC and, and, and he's respected. He's not respected by me and you. He's respected by the mainstream media. And it's very, very frightening that this kind of stuff is allowed to to, to, to be said and to go, uh, you know, unquestioned. All right. So more issues for Boeing. Another Boeing flight was forced to make an emergency landing. This time, one of the wings was damaged mid-flight. You look at the picture. It's just terrifying. And I, I assume that the passengers were actually seeing this, some of them from their window, because you can see the wing, and this wing is cracked. It's just like cracked, and it's like this massive crack. This is a 30-year-old plane, and uh, and of course, the head of the 737 Boeing Max division has been forced to resign after all the issues that that, that that plane, that model is having, which is just a total nightmare. I don't know why they waited until now to push her out. So again, the, the troubles for Boeing continue. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman, she put out a tweet uh, railing against funding for Ukraine. And what's interesting about this is not her tweet as much as the response. The community notes that corrected her tweet tells you everything you need to know. They bas- it basically concedes and owns up to the fact that the push for Ukraine funding has nothing to do with Ukraine. It's all about defense contractors. It's all about funding military and defense contractors in the United States. So it's all about helping boost the economy, helping boost these companies up. It's disgraceful. So listen to this. She she put out this tweet. She said that um, you cannot keep funding Ukraine and pouring these billions. And the community notes said back, oh, the money's not going to Ukraine. The money's going to Ohio. The money's going to, to Texas and to Arizona. This is, this is unreal. You can't make this stuff up. She, she wrote, quote, all these sickos obsessed with making American taxpayers pay another $60 billion to Ukraine to continue slaughtering Ukrainian and Russian soldiers need to understand we the people would rather spend our money rebuilding American cities like East Palestine. So then readers added contact. You have these community notes feature on uh, Musk, right, that, that Musk has. And you'd expect to see something in defense of spending money on Ukraine or maybe about how we have to get rid of Putin or whatever which is not going to happen. It's never going to happen. You're never going to hurt Putin. I don't care how much money you could you could send a trillion dollars to Ukraine and Putin will never feel a thing. And it'll all just make uh, Zelensky richer. But here was the response of community notes. Most of the money allocated to help Ukraine has been spent in the U.S. And this actually it, it actually linked to the DOD website. Pennsylvania got two point three billion dollars. Arizona, two point two billion. Texas, Arkansas, and uh, Florida got a billion dollars. And by the way, Ohio, Ohio got some of this money. So it's listing all the money that's going to defense contractors, military companies in the United States and saying, oh, well, this is helping the U.S. economy. This is not money for Ukraine. So that is how they're actually defending is they're saying send money to Ukraine, prolong the war. It's beyond disgraceful. Kola left me a voicemail a couple of weeks ago. He said, look at these people. They're saying it. They're saying, let let's prolong a war. People are dying. Innocent Ukrainian soldiers, a lot of these Russian soldiers, you know, I mean, they do vicious, evil things. I'm not defending them. But, but you know, but some of them probably don't want to be there and wish they w- weren't in, in a war. So you have all these people dying, hundreds of thousands of people. And we are 
prolonging it. We are funding the death. We are funding the war. And and we're making it go even because if we didn't fund it, Zelensky would be forced to negotiate a ceasefire and, and give up some land. And that would be that. But all these deaths are happening because of U.S. taxpayer money. But you know how we defend it? Well, we have to defeat Putin. No, nah, they don't think we're ever going to defeat Putin. We have to give money to Ohio. There are all these there are all these workers, these defense contractors. And by the way, a lot of these defense contractors are rich. So the Democrats here are going and um they can't stand the rich people, but they're making the rich even richer. So MTG, but that's the disgrace, is that they're, they're honestly like looking at this as justifiable. Listen, we need to help defense contractors here. We need to help boost the military. So uh, we, need to get, we need to pass more funding for Ukraine because that's going to help Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida. Oh, all those Ukrainians dying? Too bad. So she writes back, quote, absolutely, MTG, absolutely hilarious that readers added context to my tweet to shill for funding the proxy war with Russia in non-NATO Ukraine by making the excuse that funding the war is okay because it's good for our economy. Try telling the average American a massive debt who can't make ends meet because of Biden inflation that sending more of their hard-earned tax dollars to Ukraine, a country most people cannot find on a map, is totally okay because it's propping up our economy. So they're admitting to this, it's good for defense contractors, good for the economy, and and you're literally prolonging a war. They're never going to defeat Putin. They're not even pretending. And you know, that. look, Putin, What the man has endless resources. He's by far the wealthiest person. And in a way, Russia is the wealthiest country because all their money is consolidated. So it's the wealthiest government on the planet. And Putin controls it all. And you think that you send another 10 billion, 20 billion, 100 billion, 200 billion, that that's going to accomplish anything you think Putin, all that does is actually the war has benefited Putin more than we can imagine. So the notion, and if I'm wrong, somebody show and go and prove me wrong. But the notion that somehow Putin is threatened when we send money to Ukraine, Putin is laughing all the way to the bank. If we end this war tomorrow, that would actually hurt Putin more than if we prolong it. And the idea of winning the war and driving Putin out of there, it is un thinkable. It is unfathomable. It's never going to happen, period. So what is this about? It's about funding the defense contractors. And I got back and I thought to myself, and I hate, I always am reluctant to accuse, you know, the DOD, the defense department and the military advisors uh, and, and the generals of having nefarious motives. But isn't it always in their best interest to have a war, right? If there are no more wars, if tomorrow we, there would be world peace and there'd be no more wars, right? The military would be out of business. The DOD, all those billions and trillions that they lose, that they can't even account for, it, it, they'd be out of business. So it's like a really tough position. Even if you tell me, well, their motives are sincere, but it's really tough for them to oppose war when their whole existence in life it centers around war. So it's, a, I, again, I don't want to like judge it that way, but I don't have any other way to frame this. I would never want to be in that position. Like, you know, you know, these like, like, like Al Sharpton, end racism tomorrow. Well, then I'm out of a job. So I don't know. But my point is, right, remember before, remember the buildup where Russia is sending thousands of, of, of tanks to the border and we're like, hello, they're about to invade and people, well, no, they're just threatening. They're just, they're just intimidating, da, da, da. What? I mean, thousands of tanks you think they're sending to the border for no reason. And then, of course, they invaded. I mean, duh, we all knew that was anyone with half a brain knew that was happening. So remember what happened? We was like, why? And then Biden with the sanctions woke up way too late and he wasn't sending weapons, only sanctions. And it was like, why not do what Trump did? Trump just he he bombarded. He sent so many weapons to Ukraine and he and so much backup. He said to Putin, you invade Ukraine, you will suffer. It'll it'll be a bloodbath. Right. And Biden sat back passive, not Biden, but whoever runs the White House and let it happen. Right. And at the time, we're scratching our heads. Why not do Trump's strategy? It worked so well. Deter Putin before he invades rather than sitting there and letting it happen. And now I'm saying to myself, well, maybe this is part of the strategy. Maybe, just maybe, no mean to cast dispersions, but maybe the military 
strategists who are advising Biden were like, you know what? This war wouldn't be so bad. I mean, this would really help our economy, which it turned out to be disastrous as far as inflation goes. But but it helps the defense contractors. It certainly helped the military and certainly helped the DOD, which had been struggling uh, you know, under Biden because of COVID and everything else. So this war is the best thing that ever happened to the military and to the defense contractors. And may, maybe, just maybe, that was the game plan all along. All right, moving on. Microsoft is bragging about the fact they pay non-white employees more than they pay white employees. The woke racist Microsoft company released a DEI report. And they're bragging, they're boasting about this. If they have two employees, exactly the same job level, experience, and tenure, the non-white employee gets paid a higher salary than the white employee. This is written straight out. They have charts in their report. This is pure racism. Imagine if it were flipped, right? Imagine if the white employee was getting more money, same exact, all the other factors are exactly the same, getting more money than than the non-whites. The FBI would be targeting Microsoft. It would be plastered on the front page of every newspaper in the country. For every $1,000 earned by a white employee, a minority on an equal level is earning $1,007. Okay, now it's not a huge amount, obviously. It adds up, but that's not the point. The point is that it's done intentionally. The point is they are doing this so that they can brag about basically being racist against whites and propping up blacks and propping up minorities. And, of course, nobody says a word. And I was thinking about this whole affirmative action thing, and it's scary. When you start to put the pieces together— and look at how they used affirmative action and used, the, you know, putting into place these woke, radical black DAs in charge of so many cities around the country and George Soros and everything else. They have taken control over a huge chunk of our government. They have literally taken, they, they, they have put, installed people in place, minorities, who are not qualified. They were put in place because of their skin color, not because of merit. And they're destroying our country. They're destroying our society. Kamala Harris, worst vice president in history by far, hands down, chosen based on skin color and gender, black woman. Uh, Karim Jean-Pierre, worst press secretary ever. Okay, there's a limit to how much damage she can do, but it's cringeworthy. It's, it's paid. She could do a lot of damage because every time I have to watch a clip of her, I'm cringing. I'm worried that I might like tear too much of my hair out because it's painful. Keyshan Sewell. First black female commissioner of the NYPD. Okay, she was a total failure, uh, an abysmal failure, and she was forced to step down and, of course, left New York City in shambles. Claude, it wasn't all her fault, obviously, but she was a disaster and put in place because black female. Claudine Gay of Harvard. We know the story. We know the drill. Total fraud, plagiarism, big anti-Semite, inexcusable. Uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, she humiliated herself during those Senate hearings. She was chosen for one reason— Fannie Willis, the black DA of Atlanta in the new in the headlines a lot lately. She is not qualified. She's not qualified to be the person who makes coffee for the judge in a trial. OK, let alone be the DA of Atlanta. She is a total embarrassment. Just I mean, total disgrace. Alvin Bragg, of course. Let's not forget the former mayor of Chicago, uh, Muriel Bowser, the current mayor of Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has the worst crime rates in the country. Mayor Eric Adams, let's not forget him. And, and, and again, I understand some of these people, you know, they won they, they won elections. But again, many of them were funded by George Soros. So George Soros, he picks black people to put in charge and they're, and they're activists <clears throat> and they want to even the score with white people. So and, and by the way, I'm not suggesting someone's going to say, oh, look, he's saying that they're fail. Yaakov, are you saying that the reason that they're failures is because they're black? No, I'm not saying that at all. The reason they're failures is because they were chosen, because they weren't chosen based on merit. Look at Clarence Thomas. Look at Ben Carson. Look at Herman Cain. Even Colin Powell. I didn't agree with everything that he did, but 
there, there are many, many successful blacks out there. But the difference is they earned it. They fought, they succeeded, especially any conservative, any Republican black person is only in power, is only successful if they earned it, because they're never going to get rewarded from DEI and affirmative action. So, but but when it's George Soros funding them, or when it's affirmative action or DEI putting them in place, like Claudine Gay and all these others, Keechan Sewell and uh, Kamala Harris, I mean, we have a vice president who's put into place because of DEI. So they've set up a system where blacks are put in power, not because of America, but because they're black, and they have a vendetta uh, uh, against the white man and against Jews. So it's, it's pretty terrifying. All right. Bombshell scandal at CBS. CBS News, they fired a reporter who spent months working on the Hunter Biden scandal and the Robert Hur report. Now, the firing is bad enough because clearly they're trying to bury the Hunter Biden scandal and the Biden classified document scandal, Robert Hur report, and that testimony is coming up in a few days. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a caller. I'll try to get this a little bit later. Caller told me he's not happy that Robert Hur is testifying. We'll try to explain that. He has an interesting point. But the firing, now they laid off a bunch of people, so you'll tell me, well, this was not by design. They were laying off a lot of reporters. Very, very hard to believe at CBS News. But here's the the real issue is they seized and confiscated all of her files, all of her devices in an unprecedented move. They never do this, and people are furious. This is investigative reporter Catherine Herridge. And what made the firing uh, so problematic is because they confiscated her records, files, and computers. Herridge was covering significant stories on the Biden crime family, including the her report, many angles of the Hunter Biden story. And uh, according to one report, that was disturbing higher ups in the company. So now Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee are outraged and they are demanding answers from CBS. So they're putting the pressure on. They've written a letter to CBS, I guess, asking for the files and asking for an explanation. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. All right, let's get to the Israel news. Number one, I'm very concerned because Bibi Netanyahu, Israel, they're under enormous pressure from everywhere uh, for a long-term ceasefire. And I'm not convinced that they can resist the pressure and withstand. They obviously, obviously a long-term ceasefire would be a disaster. They're saying it's never going to happen. I hope they're right. I sort of believe them. I'm always skeptical. But Biden has given a deadline for a short-term ceasefire and and a hostage deal. They've given a deadline of Ramadan, which is, I believe, in two weeks. And look, we would give anything for the hostages to be released. I mean, it's heart wrenching. You know, any time I think about it, or, or or we daven for it for for the for the uh, the well being of the hostages, thinking about it, talking about it, it's it's so 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 difficult. And you know, when I was sitting and I had the pain in my mouth and my teeth, and saying to myself, "Oh wow," you know, and it was really painful some nights. And what what any hostage would give, I mean, to to trade places with me, and, and it, it, I I just I can't go there. We, we you know maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. It's so 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 difficult. I want to talk about it, but, you know, like, what what is there to say? But we can't lose sight of it either. So it's very, very, very tough. Um, now, but a long-term ceasefire, so, I, I mean, it, we would give anything. We would give all the money in the world right now to have the hostages be released, or, or at least to just even know that the, the suffering they're going through right now is unbearable. And we hear stories, I, I'm sorry, I, 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 you know, I could go on about this, I guess, at a certain point, it's... Not beneficial, but we should talk more about it and focus more about it in our lives, certainly. And we're not doing enough. None of us is, is doing enough. And a lot of you people are doing a lot. Um, a long-term ceasefire would be a huge win for Hamas. Uh, you know, I think Hamas, maybe that was their game plan all along, that even though they're reeling, if they get away with a long-term ceasefire right now, Hamas has won this entire episode. So I'm not convinced that Israel is going to dismantle Hamas. They keep pledging to do it. I hope they do it. They need to do it. I'm just not convinced because the pressure is unimaginable. Meanwhile, Biden, who's a disgrace, has reversed. And Biden's, you know, he's caving in to his leftist voters. Biden's terrified about losing Michigan. We'll get to that shortly. So Biden has now reversed 
the Trump doctrine recognizing Judea and Samaria as part of Israel, the West Bank settlements as part of Israel. So this is egregious, it's purely political, and the timing in the middle of this war with Gaza is a total disgrace. Anthony Blinken, uh, Secretary of State, he made this announcement. So they literally reversed the Pompeo doctrine and the Trump doctrine. And he made this announcement late on Friday, Shabbos had already begun, that Israel's presence in Judea and Samaria is inconsistent with international law and reversed the Trump policy. So this was slammed, of course, by many Republicans. Let me read you some of the quotes here. Uh, Former Ambassador David Friedman, he tweeted, quote, Blinken is 100% wrong. I researched this for over a year with many State Department lawyers. There is nothing illegal about Jews living in their biblical homeland. For Blinken to announce this in the middle of a war when the Jewish Sabbath already has begun in Israel is unconscionable. House Speaker Mike Johnson, he reaffirmed that he said, quote, Ambassador David Friedman is absolutely correct. This is a shameful decision. The Jewish people have a historic and legal right to live in the land of Israel, including Judea and Samaria. It is an absolute disgrace the Biden administration would issue this decision, especially as Israel fights terrorists on multiple fronts uh, that seek Israel's destruction and as more than 130 hostages remain in Gaza. Uh, The Biden administration must stop undermining Israel and facilitating efforts to delegitimize Israel. Senator Tom Cotton, big fan of his from Arizona, from uh, Arkansas, he said, quote, the Pompeo doctrine simply recognized reality. Judea and Samaria are the homeland of the Jewish people. It's shameful that the Biden administration reversed this and rewarded terrorists, all to help Biden's poll numbers in Michigan. So Tom Cotton, as usual, really nailed it. Bill Haggerty, Tennessee, quote, Ambassador Friedman is correct. The Biden administration's disgraceful reversal undermines a close friend while rewarding the genocidal terrorists they're fighting. It is not a legal assessment. It is a political calculation meant to appease the pro-Hamas radical left. Shameful. And we told you that Biden, so he's being exposed. Everything we knew, those early days where he pretended to be a friend of Israel were a total fraud. And he sanctioned a bunch of of settlers. He literally sanctioned Israeli farmers uh, who are living past the green line. Biden, what he's doing is he's trying to reverse all of Trump's achievements in Israel. And there is now concern, by the way, that Jewish charity organizations in the United States could be hit with Biden sanctions. This is just like stunning because they're supporting what they do is they support people uh, who live in the West Bank. They support people and they support uh, funds, funds that go to the West Bank and to the settlements. So there might be United States Jewish stuck organizations, charity organizations that are hit with Biden sanctions. All right, so that's as far as Biden goes. And we'll get to Michigan because there's a movement now among Democrat voters, Muslim voters, to try to tank the primary, to try to make Biden lose the primary in Michigan, which is coming up, which would be a big embarrassment. It's not going to happen. But even if he wins by a slim margin because he lost the Muslim voters, they're, they're basically saying to vote uncommitted, to vote for nobody, kind of like what happened with Nikki Haley in Nevada. So we'll get to that in a moment. But there's a new report that Bibi Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, multiple times um, it was recommended that they assassinate Yahya Sinwar, and there were plans brought to Netanyahu. Literally, they had plans. They knew Sinwar's um, location and whereabouts, and they had a plot to assassinate him on five occasions, according to this report. This report has a lot of credibility. And they're saying that Netanyahu prevented the Shin Bet and said, do not assassinate him and, and thwarted the plan and basically refused to allow them to, to carry it out. Why? Because he did not want to anger Hamas. This is so upsetting if this is true. If this is true, this is not the Bibi Netanyahu that I used to know, not the Bibi Netanyahu for years. You know, they would assassinate the Iranian scientists and do all sorts of things. He has helped to build Hamas, helped to fund Hamas, helped to empower Hamas, and was afraid to rock the boat and afraid to anger Hamas. And that, that that's just, 
inexcusable. Oh, well, Monday morning quarterback, you know, who knew before? The, no, 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 no. Hamas, there's no such thing as, well, I'm tiptoeing. I'm worried about upsetting Hamas. Hamas never needs an excuse. They will do terror attacks no matter what. So Bibi convinced himself that somehow he was keeping Hamas at bay. He was keeping Hamas at peace. And somehow he was like, you know, uh, keeping Hamas happy. We don't want to rock the boat and anger them. And and he was living a, a fallacy, like living in a fantasy world, if this is true. But there's so many reports now uh, similar to this that suggest the same idea that it's hard to just dismiss. And it's very, very upsetting. It's it's like Bibi kind of bought into this fake narrative, drank his own Kool-Aid that, oh, you know what? I, we won and we got Hamas to basically cave in and, and they're not interested in violence. And it's really, really, oh, it's just it's very disturbing, very upsetting. And you just, you can't believe, you can't have any faith in any of these people. So this is the large Israeli news outlet that's reporting this story that that Yaya Sinwar, he was released in the 2011 exchange for Gilad Shalit. And at the time, look, he wasn't the mastermind that he is now, but he was well known to be a terrorist leader, okay, a Hamas leader. And Sinwar, you know, should he never have been released? Part of me thinks that Hamas, that whole exchange wasn't about the 1,000 prisoners. It was about just Sinwar. And they kind of, they wanted to... They wanted to, to, to disguise it. You know, they wanted to kind of bury him amongst a thousand so that nobody would kind of notice what kind of evil. Not that I knew who he was or I realized, but, you know, there's a part of me that wonders about that. Who knows? You know, and that's not conspiratorial. It, it makes a lot of sense that Hamas, they'd ask for a thousand prisoners as a smokescreen because there's one that they want who's super valuable. But either way, he was released to Gilad Shalit deal. Of course, the fact that Gilad Shalit was released and came home, that was just an incredible, incredible wonderful thing. I mean, when the day Gilad was released, I had the chills. I was, I, I've, I've almost never been so happy in my life. Whatever you think about the exchange or right or wrong, I don't know. But the fact that he, after so many years and so much suffering and torment and torture him and his family getting released and, and you see him and, and, and he's okay and he's healthy and he's with his family. I mean, how could you, you're not human if that doesn't make you happy. But either way, Yaya Sinwar became an existential threat uh, after he was released, and the Israeli leadership did nothing about it. So the Shin Bet, at least five occasions, they tried to obtain government approval. They had plans for a strike against Yaya Sinwar, who, again, is the mastermind behind the Simchas Teresh Minet Teres Hamas terror attack. And Netanyahu rejected them, and the reasoning, according to this report, is he didn't want to escalate tensions with Hamas and potentially spark a wider conflict. That is, that's Obama type of thinking. That's Biden type of thinking. We don't want to spark a wider conflict and escalate tensions. That's inexcusable. Israel had total control over that region. And again, you you allow terror leaders to walk around and train. And we knew they were training and they knew what Hamas is capable of doing. And we knew what the doctrine is. And from the river to the sea, that never changed. But you don't want to get Hamas angry. Hamas will kill anytime they can kill. They don't need any excuses. So if this story is true, and again, I'm only saying if it's inexcusable, and I would have said this a year ago or two years ago. I'm not just saying this as a Monday morning quarterback. And according to the report, Benny Gantz, former defense minister, agreed with Netanyahu. He said, no, Hamas is sufficiently deterred. All right. So like I said, Biden has been exposed. The Israel hater, we knew he was. So Muslim voters in Michigan, they're threatening to vote against Biden in the Michigan primary. They want Biden to lose or to win by a very slim margin. They want to embarrass him. And they're calling this the abandoned Biden movement, and it's the uncommitted. They want voters to vote uncommitted. And a lot of Muslim voters in Michigan are going to do this. They want to send a message. They want to show him that he may lose Michigan in the general election, and and that's going to put enormous political pressure on Biden. I believe that he officially won Michigan, because who knows, but I believe he officially won by 150,000 votes, and there are 200,000 Muslim votes in the state of Michigan, predominantly Democrat. They're all Democrats. So this is a crucial demographic for Biden, so we'll keep an eye on this. All right, that FBI informant, 
who has been indicted, right? He claimed that Burisma paid $5 million to Hunter and another $5 million to the big guy. Alexander Smirnoff, he's been charged with lying to federal investigators. This is not a big deal. Even assuming he was lying, the media is latching onto this because of their desperation. They want to distract. They want to act. You know, they, they really are threatened by the Biden impeachment inquiry and by all these scandals. And there's so much overwhelming evidence that Joe Biden was bought off by Ukraine and by China and other foreign countries. So and by the way, a lot of parts of this whole thing make no sense. You know, a caller left me a message saying, why would he lie to the FBI about this? A caller had a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but it's not a bad theory. Oh, I forgot to get back to that other caller about Robert Hur. I'll try to get to that in a minute. But but this caller said, look, maybe this person was planted by the Democrats. He said, you know, they, they maybe he was planted to lie about this. And then the Democrats can make this arrest. They are so threatened. It's interesting. You know, they know all the evidence against Biden. He's like, why would he lie? Now, maybe he lied for the money because I think the FBI paid him off. But this is a big lie, five, assuming he lied. Five million, five million, et cetera. So uh, maybe, and, and this man was very valuable. This is a credible informant. He, he, he actually was, you know, was part of multiple FBI investigations. They paid him a lot of money. They considered him to be very credible. So maybe he lied because the Democrats wanted to plant him because they wanted to do exactly what they're doing, which was, go turn around and arrest him. And maybe there's going to be some kind of plea deal and he's going to spend a week in jail. So he's not worried and gets bought off or whatever. But they did it in order to be able to say, oh, you see that this whole thing is overblown. You know, now this would have this happened a few years ago that he gave this testimony, this this information. So I don't know exactly how this all worked, you know, if this were the case. And I'm not saying I subscribe to this, but I'm just sharing it. It's not, you know, nothing. I put nothing past these people, these Democrats. So, but the other part is, why did they wait until now to arrest him? Why not arrest him back in 2020 or 2021? Remember, nobody knew anything about this informant. The only reason that we know about this informant is because of James Comer, because the Republicans finally revealed this and exposed this, and maybe they were tipped off by Democrats. I don't know, but we we, we basically uh, revealed this information when we found this out six, eight months ago by James Comer and by the Republicans who are investigating the Biden crime family. So I don't know. None of this makes any sense, really. But assuming that he lied and assuming, like, worst-case scenario, that none of this ever took place— by the way, they paid him $100,000 and they used him for six uh, other DOJ investigations, which, which were successful indictments, the FBI. So he's a credible informant. So who knows? But it doesn't matter. Let's assume worst, worst case scenario. He lied. He made the whole thing up. Fine. The media narrative is all oh, look at this. There's no evidence that Biden ever uh, got paid off by our enemies. The Hunter Biden scandal is a hoax. And it's not true. This was a footnote. This this was literally a, a, a tiny, tiny little uh, cog, a tiny little blip on the radar, this whole informant thing. We didn't care. We were reporting about this scandal months before this informant, years before this this informant, you know, even came, it was even surfaced. So there's one headline from ABC News. It says that those 51 intel agents who claimed that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, they feel vindicated because this man, Smirnoff, has been arrested. So now we see that the Hunter Biden scandal, the laptop, really was Russian disinformation, just like because this guy Smirnoff, I guess, is Russian. It's absurd. That's absurd. Number one, we have no evidence that he was backed by Russia, even if he happens to be from Russia, unlike the Steele dossier, which was Russian disinformation. But aside from that, the Hunter Biden laptop is legit. They were lying, those 51 Intel people, and ABC, they're using this. They're latching onto this and making this, this debunks all that stuff that they're claiming about Hunter Biden totally false. The scandal is way beyond this informant. There's a wealth of evidence that Hunter Biden was paid by Ukraine to buy off his father's influence and uh, and, and paid by China and given millions. And uh, the only reason Hunter Biden was ever involved is because of his his last name. 
and the media is doing cartwheels. It's absurd. The whole thing is it's it's totally fake. But the problem is, and why now? Very simple. Why now? Because Merrick Garland he timed it perfectly. Because right now you have a lot of testimony. Right now the investigation into the you know the impeachment inquiry into Biden is heating up, and they have all this this very damaging testimony coming from Hunter Biden's former business associates. Devin Archer, et cetera, Tony Bobolinsky. So the the timing is great because now Americans are like, oh, wow, the Republicans, this whole thing is just a hoax, this impeachment, impeachment inquiry, because there's not going to be an impeachment. All right. A mystery balloon has been spotted over Utah. But don't worry. The Biden administration insists that there is no danger. <laughs> yeah, well, that's reassuring. Another mystery balloon. And it's an amateur balloonist, they say, just having fun. So here's the thing. I don't know. I don't believe anything. I mean, these are the people that tell us that Biden has the clarity and youth and energy of a 30-year-old. So I don't believe anything that these people tell us, but let's even take it at face value, that it's some hobby balloonist, and they have this balloon, this mystery balloon flying. And and by the way, it was intercepted. They didn't shoot it down, but it was intercepted by the military on Friday. But here's the thing. You know how many tens of thousands of Chinese nationals are in the country illegally right now? Right now, the country is filled with basically Chinese spies. And that's thanks to Biden. They come across the border. You know, I'm going to read you the numbers over here of there's a surge of Chinese coming alone without families across the Mexican border. And, you know, my son said to me, my son's very funny. He's like, wow, what are all those Chinese people doing in Honduras? He's like, maybe the Chinese, because they come from, you know, through Honduras to Mexico, to the United States to invade us. And he's like, wow, so many Chinese people live in Honduras. I never knew. He's like, maybe, sarcastically, obviously, maybe China's trying to take over Honduras. Maybe you have Chinese spies infiltrating Honduras. (laughs) And you can't make it up because literally in the last few months, in the last few months, tens of thousands, they don't come with families, they don't come with wives or children. These are adult male Chinese people who are invading the country and getting here through the southern border. And oh, by the way, yes, the Biden crime family got millions of dollars from China. Coincidence? So uh, that's a real. And now they have you you could just basically fly a spy balloon, make it look like a weather balloon. And oh, no problem. I'm just a hobbyist. Well, who knows? Maybe some Chinese people are just flying these balloons in the United States. It's very, very scary. Since 2021, the number of Chinese illegals crossing the border has skyrocketed by four thousand percent, four thousand percent increase over one weekend. Fox News cameras witnessed hundreds of Chinese nationals crossing illegally several weeks ago most single adults very few had any children with them and somebody said you know one official said this is not normal a cvp source told fox news since october of last year this past october there have been over twenty thousand encounters with illegals from china uh that compared to fiscal year 2021 there were 450 there's a four thousand percent spike in encounters with chinese illegals and tell me that shouldn't frighten us. And remember, Biden reduced the vetting process. Biden made it that basically any Chinese illegal can come right in because he stopped the vet. And by the way, what are the Chinese claiming? They're also claiming refugee status, asylum status. Remember, it used to be they needed like 40 questions. They used to be able to grill these Chinese illegals and force them to turn around. It was 40 questions. And if they didn't get it right, they uh, they did not get released into the country. And now they turned it down to, they, they, down to five questions. They decreased it to five questions. And basically, they, the Chinese now just have to memorize a script. All right, Paul Pelosi continues to be very lucky playing the stock market, but we don't have time. He earned uh, $1.25 million off an NVIDIA stock purchase, but he gets no inside information. He's the luckiest tra- stock trader on earth. But uh, Nancy Pelosi insists she never, ever tells him inside information. NVIDIA and NVIDIA, I guess, is... A big AI company, the, the big technology company, you know, they're very, very interwoven with the government. So, uh, and Nancy Pelosi has made a lot of money on NVIDIA stocks before. 
the Trump shortlist. All right, Trump implied that he has a shortlist, but um, all right, we don't have time for all this stuff. But basically, Laura Ingram asked Trump about a bunch of um, names. Are they on his shortlist for VP? I'll tell you the names, and the media is making a big deal out of this. I think they're overblowing it. And none of, and very few of the names are names we've. Some of them are names we've mentioned, but not all of them. The names are Tulsi Gabbard, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, Kirsty Noam, the uh, Kirsty Noam, the uh, the governor of South Dakota. By the way, most of those are very good picks, in my opinion. But Tulsi Gabbard's not even a Republican, so I'm not sure. But um, Ingram said Laura Ingram had this uh, Trump town hall. Are, are they on your short list? And Trump said, Yeah, they're all on my short list. Now it's not like Trump mentioned any of those names. You know what's he going to say? No, they're not on my like. Who even knows? You know they're all. She happened to hit on how big is the short list? I mean, she hit on like six names. So, you know, he might have just been saying, yeah, they're on my, because they are, you know, technically they're on his radar. I don't know that, like, these are the names, you know, so the media is making this into a big deal. Oh, Trump reveals his shortlist. Does that mean Lee Zeldin is not on it or Lee Stefanik is not on his shortlist? I don't know. Look, you know, I think Byron Donalds, I think, would be good. Ramaswamy, I think he comes with a little bit of baggage because, you know, he's got a lot of very strong beliefs. But I understand why Trump wants a Ramaswamy on the ticket, possibly Kirsty Noam. I just don't know. You know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, DeSantis causes issues with the Electoral College. You know, I don't think he's going to pick DeSantis. But either way, um, maybe, maybe not. These are all good. I just want to make a point here. You know, the, the the VP pick almost never, almost never has an impact. I mean, they always make such a big deal who the nominee, who the running mate is. And it like it never matters. You know, uh, Obama picked Biden because Biden had foreign policy expertise and he wanted to appeal to white voters. Like, I just don't believe that the VP people look at the candidate. They don't look. There's no proof in history that, that the VP pick really had any kind of impact, except their home state. They, if they want to win their home state, that could, it's where it can be helpful. So I'm not into this. People say, well, Tim Scott would help Trump with the black vote. I, I just don't believe it. Blacks who like Trump like Trump. Blacks who don't like Trump are not going to say, well, Tim Scott, that changed my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm open to being wrong about this. This is very hard to know. But to me, I'm into the VP pick. Pick the one who's going to do the, last, the least damage. A VP pick can harm you. They can do damage. I don't believe that they can help. If somebody's not ready to vote for the candidate, I don't believe they'll say, oh, but this VP pick, what a pick. Oh, the, 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 the running mate, the VP was never going to do anything except stand there and smile. That's my opinion. I may be wrong. And, and I do not want Trump to choose based on race or skin color. That would just be completely uh, antithetical, completely contradicting everything Trump stands for and his principles. And I don't believe he will. He may pick a woman. He may pick a black but he, if he does, he's going to do it because they're qualified. That, and he said it himself, as a caller pointed out. Oh, and so finally, that caller who said he's not happy about Robert Robert Hur's uh, testimony. I was, I, I'm thrilled and excited, and you know, I, I'm anticipating this. I'm anxiously awaiting because I think it's going to be you know theater and drama and everything we want in politics. And the caller says, "Yeah, but look, this is going to hurt Biden. After this, there's going to be so many calls." Robert Hur. He agrees with me, the caller, that Robert Hur is there to trash Biden. He he just wants to show the world how guilty Biden is and the hypocrisy of indicting Trump and not Biden. I could be wrong, but that's what I'm expecting. The the report says most of that right right in the report. And the caller says, yeah, but that's going to knock out Biden, force him to step down. And and look, I, I keep saying it. I do believe Biden's going to step down. Now, now everybody's coming to basically say the same thing. I mean, the media every day, the New York Times is telling us why Biden's unfit to, you know, they say Trump's also unfit, but Biden's also unfit. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, but the caller says that's going to, I don't think this is, yeah, I do think that the call is right, that this is going to be very damaging. That's why Biden has come out so strongly against this report. And I do think there's going to be a lot of calls. And by the way, we have the State of the Union coming up. And if Biden can't get through that, 
um, without uh, stammering away. That could cause him major problems. I mean, look, what are you going to do? You're going to just isolate this man, keep him in a cocoon? That's what they're trying to do. So the caller has a point. I think the fix is in. I think if he's going to be forced out, he's going to be forced out regardless. But yeah, look, that's a valid point. I can't sit here and say that it's the best thing for the Republican Party or for Trump. I want Biden to be the candidate. I agree with the caller a thousand percent. I don't want anyone else besides Biden. Biden's the weakest candidate by far. I'm just not sure. You know, I just meant like I think that this uh, testimony is going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, maybe that shouldn't be the main factor. I'm sorry. What can I do? Guilty as charged. That's going to do it for today. Good to be back and we will see you next time.